Welcome to Pace and Practice, an Eden Project podcast focused on Christian spiritual formation in which we desire to help people become people of love who walk at the pace of love. Well, Karen, I am super excited today because the voice you're hearing on the other end is uh, Dr. Steve Porter. He's all the way out in La Mirada, California. And Steve, we're grateful to have you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, We're going to talk to him about a, a topic that is extremely pertinent to the Christian life, the spiritual life, and that is prayer. So there are a lot of different ideas about prayer But typically, people are going to think about prayer and put prayer into the category of something that we call spiritual disciplines. And that word itself, discipline, again, can have a pretty strong connotation for people who are listening to that. So, Steve, why don't we start off by just talking about what are the spiritual disciplines? What are they not? What are they intended to do? Those kinds of things. Let's just spend some time unpacking that. Yeah, so... There's a lot of you know definitions of spiritual disciplines, or we could just call them spiritual practices, mm-hmm. but they're ways ultimately that we respond to God's availability, His gracious availability in our lives by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God indwells us, Paul says. Jesus tells us the Spirit of God is going to come and make His home in us, but then we're commanded to abide in, in Jesus by the Spirit, or in Paul's language, to walk in the Spirit. So they don't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to walk with the Spirit today. Well, I can, and, and hopefully I do, but that itself is a, a kind of practice. It's a practice of waking up in the morning and saying, okay, Lord, I want to live my life with you, uh, so what do we do next so that that can happen. And so these practices or disciplines become activities we engage in through scripture, through the body of Christ, through prayer. In fact, I might think of prayer as kind of the the underlying spiritual discipline because any practice we do, we want to do it prayerfully. We want to do it with the Lord in, in a sense of companionship, gracious communion with him. So prayer is is really this way that we find ourselves in relationship with God, whatever we're doing to cultivate mm-hmm. that relationship. But those practices of cultivation are disciplines. And maybe the, the reason why discipline can be a helpful term, even though it has those other maybe more negative connotations of hard work, is that it's so deeply ingrained in us to focus on so many other things other than God and other than the Spirit of God and, and Jesus in our lives, that, that it actually becomes this kind of intentional choice to seek first the kingdom or to walk in the Spirit. And so these practices become disciplines because I'm kind of having to go against the normal grain of my life, which is to just get focused on almost anything and everything else besides God. Mm-hmm. So that's where these things... Uh, can, can feel and, and be understood more like disciplines. Right. So there's been a lot of ink spilled and conversations around the disciplines of the spiritual life. And I think a lot of times, like you mentioned, that connotation of hard work, a lot of times when people are applying that type of mentality to the spiritual life, The translation into our lives is something like, I have to work really hard in order to make change happen or in order to, in like a transactional type relationship with God, in order to obligate him to do something. And so talk about the disciplines as a means of grace for 
receptivity to what God is already doing as an invitation, right? As opposed to, come on, you better do this or, or else yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think, Nathan, one of the common mistakes people make with the disciplines, I know I still make it, is thinking of them as, as somehow meritorious. That if I, if I read in my Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I share my faith enough, if I serve the church or tithe, or, you know, that somehow I, yeah, I obligate God and he now has to be good to me because I've been, I've been a good boy and, and now he's going to be good to me. Uh, that's not what's going on with the disciplines. I think another mistaken view is that somehow they work kind of magically, that, that you know, we don't really get why mm. prayer works or why reading the Bible works, but if we just do enough of these things, then zap, you know, we'll kind of become more like Jesus. Yeah, it's like a uh, biblical imperative plus personal discipline equals transformation. Like the Bible yeah. says, do this, I'm going to work really hard to do it, and then I'll be changed kind of thing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that can, that can be a very frust well, it can be a very legalistic life. It can be a very draining life because it's all done in our own power, trying to impress God or, or be good or whatever it is. Mm. So I really think we need to kind of flip that over and say, no, no, no. The life we've been given, we've been given by God. It's, it's actually through his loving presence with us that we were made uh, to become more and more like Jesus. So, so our job isn't to work really hard to try to act like Jesus acted. We do need to work hard, but the hard work is the hard work of dependence. It's, it's the kind of communion that Jesus had with his heavenly father by the spirit. That's the kind of communion that we are to seek. But again, it's already available to us. So it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's, it, as you said, Nathan, it's an invitation to, as Jesus says in John 15, I know that's a passage you guys talk about a lot as well, but, you know, abide in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. So Jesus is already abiding in us. And now our response is to remain in him mm -hmm. and to direct ourselves to him. But that itself is easier said than done. Again, partly because of how distracted we are uh, because of our culture, because of our own um, habits, our own mm -hmm. kind of personal history. I mean, I teach theology, I teach the Bible, I teach at a Christian university, but I, I find it very easy for me to go through large chunks of my day, if not large chunks of my week, and kind of like, oh yeah, God, <laughs> I kind of forgot about you. <laughs> oh, like, I'm this, so glad this, I'm this, not this the only one. <laughs> I know, right? Oh yeah, there's this uh -huh. guy. It's interesting though that, that you say that because talking about the false motivators to drive us to do these activities around either performance or obligating God or proving ourselves or something like mm -hmm. that, What's fascinating is when you look at the life of Jesus, he is participating in all of these kinds of practices. And so it's like, well, what does he have to prove? Like, he doesn't have to prove anything. And so I think the question would then become, well, then why is he doing it? You know, why is he waking up to pray? Why is he studying the scriptures? Why is he living a life that is working these things out in a way that keeps him in communion with his father? And so yeah. I think there's an interesting point there just to just to say that Jesus didn't have to prove anything to his father, but there were things that he did that kept him in fellowship with his father. That's and right. I mean, and man, if he had to do it, I don't know why. How are we exempt? You know, well, and there's this idea, at least for me, where and I'm seeing it a lot in the church where spiritual disciplines become the Christian life. Yeah. Like. What is Christianity? It's reading your Bible. It's memorizing yeah. scripture. It, it is these 
and you completely miss over the encounter with God. Yeah, right. Like right. they're just checking the boxes. And so it is convicting to think about Jesus doing this to stay in fellowship with God because yeah. it makes you realize the point was never the thing. Yeah. But you think about even even right now, the three of us are talking and it would be like, well, how do y'all communicate? And it's like, well, I'm going to try to communicate without talking. It's like, well, there are nonverbal forms of communication, but at least in this conversation, the primary way that we're communicating is through verbal symbols. So it's like the the verbal symbol is not the actual relationship. It's just a means by which we are communicating with one another. Well, then if you're going to talk to God, if you're going to commune with God, there's activity to that. It doesn't just happen. Then why do we miss God when we do them? Well, it's like going around talking to a wall. <laughs> Did you just call God a wall? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, just because you talk doesn't mean you're actually communicating with someone. You can go around and talk all day long, but it requires communication to and also listening from. It requires a conversation and not just a, I'm going to wake up and talk to the air. I think that's something that we miss. Well, yeah, it totally is. Or even miss teaching people how to do, how to use these ways or use these disciplines to communicate with God versus just read your Bible. It's like we, do y'all agree that we skip the end of that? Oh, Oh, for sure. Well, the means that God has given us for a lot of people and a temptation for all of us is to make the means the actual end in itself. And that's where we go wrong. I think as well, the immateriality of God, that God is invisible, uh, makes it so easy for us to miss him and and focus on the means. Because I can open up my Bible and it's concrete, it's physical. I can get through a chapter, pat myself on the back, check the box, whatever, I'm good. But to actually read scripture or pray in a way that is practicing the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are more real than, you know, the things I can see before me. But but everything, again, in my field of vision feels more real than God does oftentimes. And, and that's, again, why our kind of sensate culture of, of sensual what we see. And I, th- I think of Dory and uh, Finding Nemo, right? Was she, she was always distracted by like shiny things. And I think we're kind of a lot like Dory, right? There's like, or at least I am. It's like, oh, that's a shiny object. I'll go think about that or, or go see what that is. But this invisible immaterial God, who's the most important person in my life can be neglected. I mean, I think this is what the maturing of the faith life is. The life of faith in God is, is, how do I begin to, again, make choices and practices so that my relationship with God actually becomes more tangible and real than anything else in my life? And you do yeah. find people like that, you know, mm-hmm. that are just, they're just, they're saints. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're people totally. who spent their whole life just uh, deeply embedded in the fabric of the world as a God-bathed, God-permeated mm-hmm. world. And they just... They see God in everything, and they're with him in all things. And uh, I was just at a funeral last week of a colleague of mine whose husband passed away. And and she was just super sad. I mean, a lot of loss and grief. But at the same time, her faith is just uh, so sturdy, so unwavering, because she just knows God is good. She doesn't know exactly how his goodness was displayed in her husband's death and, and an early death at that to cancer. But she still has as much confidence that God is good and he's involved and he's at work and that he's with her. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a lifetime of practice. You don't just right. kind of 
arrive. go through yeah. those kind of experiences without practicing. It's the same thing in a marriage relationship or a friendship or what have you, right? It's all those little mini trials that we go through in, in marriage or in friendship that get us to that big problem in our relationship with another human person where we say, I, I don't quite know what's going on here, but, but I know this person, they're with me, I'm with them, they love me, they care. And, and, and so you got to have a lot of water under the bridge um, to really have the, that kind of confidence. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. One of the best metaphors that I appreciate is in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul is talking to, obviously, the church at Corinth. And he's like, hey, you guys are all talking about either me or Barnabas or Apollos or whatever, you know. And he's like, look, you know, he uses this agrarian metaphor where he's like, hey, no farmer ever grew a crop. The farmer can't actually grow corn or wheat or rice or whatever it is. All the farmer can do is cultivate the environment. And I think that that's been so helpful for me to think about the disciplines in that way is mm -hmm. that we can wake up in our day and be totally unaware, totally ignorant of, totally dismissive of the presence of God in our lives. And that's like, you're just not cultivating a good environment in that way. And so there might be a little bit of fruit here and there, but it's messy, right? As opposed to someone who's like, I'm going to cultivate an environment that's going to yield what only God can do mm. and to, to grow a, a substantial crop. From the time that I kind of recognize that metaphor, that's always been super helpful for me to go, hey, what kind of environment am I cultivating? And I think that's a good question to ask. So, yep. Steve, could you speak to, we've all been in this situation where we don't want to read our Bible, where we don't want to pray, where we don't want to memorize that verse, where we don't want to go serve at the church again. Yet we would say, hey, I love God very much. What do you do with that tension? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question, Karen. And And I think, as you guys know, there's no one size fits all answer to that question. I, that's where one anothering in the Christian life becomes very specific to individual people and their particular stories and what's kind of going on for them. So, but at some level, you know, I think we need to say, really, it shouldn't be like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so something's gone wrong when we don't want to. Now, now it may be that we don't want to because we need to learn that God loves us and he's for us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us, even when we don't. Yeah. So I, I know a friend of mine who, who quit going to church for a season, but she grew up as a pastor's daughter. And for her, you know, not going to church was kind of the unforgivable sin. I mean, she would feel so guilty if she ever, you know, didn't go to church. And so for her, not going to church for a season was really healing because she found out that God still loves people if they stay in bed on Sunday morning, that that's okay. You know, that God is, is still for you and with you. And so she had to get out of a kind of legalistic right. pattern. And so sometimes ceasing certain practices or, or not wanting to do them is a sign that we've been approaching them 
in ways that aren't nourishing, that aren't Mm -hmm. cultivating a healthy dependence on God. So we actually need some sort of intervention. And and so I would say, whatever it is, pay attention to that. We don't want to shame ourselves or shame other people or just kind of say, well, you're bad, start praying or start Say, well, what what is that telling us about you? What do you think is going on that that you're not feeling that desire anymore? I, I, I think of the the passage in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, don't give reluctantly or under obligation because God loves a cheerful giver. And he's talking about giving there, but he's, he's actually saying, if, you're, if you feel reluctant about this or you feel under obligation, like you have to, then don't do it. Take a step back. And then he goes on to say, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having uh, all sufficiency in all things will abound in every good work. So I think what he's describing there is, is this flow of grace that's meant to pervade the human life. And then these these good works come out of us, not Mm. out of obligation or out of um, expectation or reluctance. But again, that's easier said than done. That's the Christian life. That's this life of, of kind of dying to self and coming to realize all these areas where I don't really want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I don't I don't really want to depend on God. I want to be my own God. And, and so I think sometimes the disciplines actually expose those parts of us. And so we don't want to because we've actually run up against something in us that would rather be God than love God. And mm-hmm. so then our proclamation that I love God turns out it wasn't as deep as we thought it was. Right. It's like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I love you. Help those parts of me that don't fully love you. And uh, the disciplines can, can kind of purge. Expose those, that. Those, those, yeah, expose that. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy one time who came by my office and he was like, man, I'm really struggling to get into the word. And he's like, I do it every day, just total obligation. He's like, but I don't want to. And what's wrong with me? And I was like, hey, tell me more. And he's like, well, I've read the Bible every single day for like years. And he's like, I'm just tired. But I mean, I know I have to. I got to be in the word every day. I was like, hey, bro, time out. Here's what I want you to do. So he's like, gets his pad out, you know, (laughs) I'm like, put the Bible down. (laughs) Stop reading the Bible every day. And man, you'd have thought I told him to go to Mars or something. I mean, he was like, what did you just say? Because a lot of times what happens is then because we've, we don't understand the disciplines, what they're for, we'll begin to abuse them. And then we're making either the Bible or prayer or whatever, we're making it into something that it's not. And that's really dangerous. It can lead down to a lot of chaotic living. The other thing I was thinking about while you were talking was, and I think this is really critical in the spiritual life, is so often we don't pay attention to what we're paying attention to. Mm. We have these emotions and feelings and stuff, but we don't ever like actually examine those and go, hey, wait a minute. I don't want to pray or I don't want to, I don't want to do this thing out of the love of God, but why? I wonder why that is. Instead of going to God with that desire or lack of desire and go, Lord, I don't want to do this. Why is that? Help me, you know? Instead, we have to think, okay, well then somehow we need to conjure up the desire to do it so that we then can go to God. Because we often in our conversation with God are just straight up pretending. And so I think there's something to be said for being honest about where we are, being honest about your desires even if, especially if they're off, you can talk to God about that and you should. <laughs> yeah, Nathan, it makes me think of James chapter one, the you know, 
count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And really, when we don't want to read the Bible or we don't want to pray, that's a little bit of a trial. It's, mm. it's kind of like, I don't want to do this, God. It, it, and that's testing. It's kind of testing my faith. Do I really trust you even when it doesn't feel good, right. even when I don't want to? And I think there is a steadfastness there. It's kind of that, that moment in a dating relationship or a marriage or whatever, where you kind of realize for better and worse, right? It's those <laughs> worse moments where it's like, it's like, I don't want, do I really want to stay in this relationship? Yeah, yeah. And that's a testing of that relationship. Am I going to stay with this person even when it's hard, even when it's not making sense, even when it doesn't feel good? And if we're committed to somebody in friendship or in marriage or whatever it is, then we practice staying with them. We say, I'm going to, I am going to stay with you. And that's the steadfastness. It's not, I can make it through this. It's, I can hang on to you right. in this. Right. I don't know if I'll make it through it, but I'm going to hang on to you all the way through it. And, and if need be out the other side, because we're hanging on to a love that will not let us go. Mm -hmm. And what's so great about hanging on to God is even when we let go, he still hangs on to us. So, mm -hmm. so what, what we're learning as our faith is tested. And, and again, faith is sometimes tested because it doesn't feel good to go to church or it's, it's not enjoyable. And so now am I loving God for pleasure or am I actually right. loving God because of who he is and, mm -hmm. and I need him even when I don't experience that. Mm -hmm. And so that that's testing, it's proving, it's building a kind of staying power with God that is actually what we need. Uh, you know, St. Augustine, we were made for thee, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And so this, if this life is in part this kind of proving ground mm -hmm. where we're learning to kind of have that sort of a place of resting, of, of holding, of of staying with God, then again, we need these, we need these practices. And then we need these kind of trials, these kind of experiences where the practices aren't working like we thought they would, yeah. because now it's like, oh, how much of my practice was about me trying to get life on my terms rather than really depending on God in whatever he has. It's like Lewis's chapter on faith and mere Christianity, where he talks about in one way, all of our trying, like our trying is critical but in one way, all of our trying leads us to that critical moment when we finally realize, oh, I can't do this. And yeah. we turn to God and say, you must, you know, yes. that critical point. And I think that that's when people start to realize exactly what the disciplines are, what these spiritual practices are meant to be. And that is, oh, this is the how of how do you walk in step with the spirit? And there are practices that we implement into our lives that expose our own kind of Promethean attempts to be God. They expose our disordered desires. They expose the parts of us that are in rebellion against God and idolatry. And they push us to go, oh, like we're going to talk about in the next episode, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I think when we learn to live in that posture, then the spiritual life begins to flourish. And it's like, a, I think this also is in mere Christianity, but somebody asked Lewis, hey, is Christianity hard or easy? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is, well, it, it's hard at the beginning, right? But it should become easy yeah. as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, transforms us to where then these practices like Jesus, I mean, I, I think what would be hard for Jesus would be for him not to do these things. I mean, right. he's so in constant communion with his father by the spirit that 
to suggest to him that he should go another way would have been really, really difficult for him. I think that was well said, Nate. And I think of Jesus's teaching about the easy yoke, you know, come unto me, all who are weary and, and heavy laden or burdened, take my yoke or my way of life upon you and learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. My, my, my way or my yoke is easy. So the great thing about this way of life with Jesus by the spirit that these practices connect us to is that this is what we were made for. I mean, that's the Christian view of reality, mm -hmm. that, that holiness is not foreign. Becoming more holy is to become more human, is to become more whole. Good. And so these practices are actually aligning us with reality. The problem is, is we're so we're so off, you know, we're, we're so deformed <laughs> yeah. that, that it doesn't feel like, you know, it's kind of like going to the chiropractor or something and, and you're like, are you sure you're aligning me? It feels like, it feels like you're not, it doesn't feel so good. And, uh, and so again, we're so distorted and for the chiropractors of the world, I'm not sure they actually are all the time, but, but we're so distorted and so deformed that the reformation process can feel disorienting yeah. and very painful, yeah. especially in a fallen world where things are not going as they're intended to go mm. all around us. So yeah. that, that makes it even more uh, disorienting. But Jesus has made a way and didn't just make a way, he is the way. So we're going to come back in this next episode and we're going to continue this conversation with Steve and talk about one specific practice that he's been thinking about for a while. And that is the practice of praying without ceasing. Thanks so much for being with us today on the Pace and Practice podcast. If anything in this podcast today encouraged you or piqued your curiosity, share with your friends, give us a rating, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And now as we depart, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.